Okay, well, there's a little bit more of a pep in my step this morning as I come up here to uh, continue our series on the basics. First of all, um, we had a great week. Uh, me and the, the, the other elders went up to uh, Cary, North Carolina, and we went to the Shepherds 360 conference. Jay and Tyler, Matt and Jason, and we had a great time. So if, if you prayed for us, thank you. It's a long day. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I say, you know, it's one of those days where, like, I put on my shoes it's at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I don't take them off again until 9.30 at night. Uh, the Shepherds 360 conference works to really fill our time. There's not a lot of downtime when we're up there, but I was very refreshed and I learned a lot of things, and uh, it's, it's good to be back. So thanks, thanks for making that a reality. And then, obviously, secondly, I get to preach on generosity uh, the week after you guys expressed your generosity to us in such a meaningful way. So thank you so much. Let me also say, I had no clue. I had no clue. We had been talking about maybe like incorporating a bit more of a benediction. And, uh, you know, Tyler, after he finished singing, kind of came up and walked to the podium. And I thought, wow, he's going to really drill down on this benediction thing. Like he's really like jumping in there to do that. I had no idea. So thank you so much. And I just want to say, it's, it's, it's a joy for me to speak on this basic um, after that. So what, what a joy it is to, to preach on the basic of generosity to a genera- generous church. So thank you all so much, and, and we mean that. Um, let me also, uh, we're, we're gonna con- I'm going to pray before we start, and I, I just, we want to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, like we've talked about from Psalm 122, as we continue to see the events unfolding over there, and just with the reality that there are things uh, involved in that region of the world that are, are no doubt of, of greater biblical importance than other regions of the world. Um, if Ezekiel 5, Ezekiel calls it the navel of the world, the, the center of the world. Jerusalem has been placed at the navel of the world. So as, as before I preach this morning, I just want to pray once again um, for the, the people of Israel, the Christians who are involved over there, um, we want to remember them in our prayers, people who are no doubt suffering, who do love the Lord Jesus, and those who are suffering who we pray would bow the knee to Lord Jesus. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll open up the scriptures this morning. Father, once again, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for peace in her walls, for pos- prosperity in her palaces. Um, Father, I pray that you would bring your people, that they would bow the knee to you, Uh, We pray that you would cause them to cry out to you so that you would send your Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one we know, uh, and that they would recognize him, the one whom they have pierced. And Father, we don't know. We don't know your timetable. We don't know if, if, if these things are the beginning of the things that you have told us. Uh, about in the scripture, or if those things are still many years in the future, but I pray that you would help us to live as people who are looking for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. And we are here, just to be clear, to worship him this morning. We are here because he is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and so let's, let's turn our hearts and minds to his word 
uh, as we continue on this morning. All right, so we are in week number seven of our basic series. So I, I have to go back to the socks. If you don't remember anything about this series, you're going to remember the socks. Legendary basketball coach John Wooden, at the beginning of every basketball season, gave his players a lesson in how to put on their socks because John Wooden believed that something so simple as putting on socks was fundamental to the success of his basketball team. And, and don't forget, and this is very key, I don't think that any player who wanted to keep playing for John Wooden ever came to him and said, hey, coach, I put on my socks right three times this week because that wasn't the goal, right? The goal was not just to put on socks. The goal was to win basketball games. And so our goal isn't to just check boxes when it comes to reading our Bible or coming to church or praying or even giving. Our goal is to know Jesus Christ. And so those are the, those are the means that we're going to employ to reach that end. And so last week, we talked about the basic of service. And if you'll remember, we said that to be a Christian is to identify as a servant because Christ identified as a servant. And we, we don't just do acts of service. We are servants. And so I would say this morning as we start that the same is true of giving. We don't just perform acts of generosity we give because Christians are givers. And so we have the word up here, stewardship, which is just kind of a fancy churchy word for giving, for being good stewards of the resources that God has given us. Let me just say this at the outset. We'll come back to this. We are givers because the greatest giver in the universe has saved us and has transformed us into the image of his son who gave his life for us. So giving is, is an essential part of the gospel. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. He gave his body. He gave his blood. And so giving is so central to everything that, that we believe, to the things that we hold dear. I also want you to see that giving is basic to joy. And we'll talk about that too. That transforming nature of the gospel teaches us that it is, it, is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so we're going to open to 2 Corinthians 8, if you want to turn there with me. Some of you may remember, this is a passage that I preached uh, about four years ago when we were back at Wesley Gardens. We studied through the book of 2 Corinthians, and I called it Give Like a Macedonian. And so we're going to revisit that today. Uh, because we want to see that Paul upholds the Macedonian Christians as examples of radical grace-motivated giving. So we won't read, uh, actually, chapters 8 and 9 are all about generosity, but this morning I'm just going to read chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and we'll think through those verses together. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, 
of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, so let me just give you a quick word of context here, and then we're going to just jump into this passage. This letter that we know of as 2 Corinthians was motivated by Paul's deep concern for the Corinthian church. So Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to check on things. He had sent some messages with Titus that he wanted to be delivered, and he was so excited to find out that Titus had been received with love. And so it, he had asked Titus, when you go to Corinth, I want you to make sure that they remember to make good on their promised gift that they're going to make to the church in Jerusalem. So we see this back in 1 Corinthians 16. You can look at this later. But Paul has, has been going around. The church in Jerusalem at the time was very poor. There was a famine in the land. And so Paul was collecting, uh, making a collection for the poor church in Jerusalem for the, from the churches up in Europe and Asia Minor. And, and they were going to send that collection down to Jerusalem. And at some point, the Corinthians had said, hey, we want to be a part of that. But, but like so often is the case, their enthusiasm had waned, and so Paul said to Titus, hey, when you get there, just remind them of the contribution that they've wanted to make to the work going on there in Jerusalem. And so that's the context here. Paul is reminding them, you need to make good on your promise, all right? And so to encourage the Corinthians, Paul cites the example of the Macedonian Christians, all right? So Macedonia was a region to the north of Corinth. Uh, churches like Thessalonica were there. Philippi was there. Paul had been there on his second missionary journey, and he had ministered in these churches, and God had done a work of grace in that area. And here's the thing. The Macedonians were exemplary givers. 2,000 years later, we have a lot to learn from the Macedonians, okay? So I want you to know, what we're going to see here is not normal giving, okay? It's radical giving. It's grace-transformed giving. Some might hear this and be tempted to say, that sounds unwise. That sounds like unwise giving. You might even say, those Macedonians, somebody should have told those Macedonians to settle down and take care of themselves first. But this is radical, grace-based giving. Paul is describing something that I would, I would contend, if we can catch a glimpse for this kind of giving in our own lives, we would experience blessing beyond what we can even fathom of what God would do in our lives. And so we're going to walk down through this passage this morning and just consider this example of the generosity of the Macedonians. All right, so the first thing we see here about the Macedonians in verse 1 
is that they were motivated to give because of God's grace. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. It's almost as if Paul is saying, okay, I have a story to tell you. It's a story about the grace of God that has come to the churches of Macedonia. A, a miracle happened there, and, and the gospel came there and transformed their lives. Because giving is evidence of the grace of God in a person's life. It's an indication that somebody has gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, I don't mean to suggest to you that the unbelieving world never gives. They give for a lot of reasons. They give to get a break on their taxes. They give to alleviate some kind of debt, uh, a guilt that they feel. They give to show off. They give so that they can get buildings named after them or research centers named after them. The Macedonians, on the other hand, practiced sacrificial grace-motivated giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave his life for sinners. And so when the Macedonians had their eyes opened to the marvelous self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, they were transformed. So probably is this nowhere better illustrated than in Zacchaeus. Okay, so the main thing we know about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And a wee little man was he. Well, it turns out that there's more to know about Zacchaeus than just the fact that he was a wee little man. Some of you who weren't raised in church are like, what is he talking about? And just, just ask a child, they'll sing the song. Um, so he was, a, he was a former tax collector. He was a professional taker. Okay, Zacchaeus was a professional taker, and he was transformed by the radical grace of God. Luke 19, Luke says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to see that Jesus considers Zacchaeus' new desire <clears throat> that it, to, to, to give, to be evidence of the fact that he has been saved. He was a taker, he was a selfish tax collector, and now he is a giver because his encounter with Jesus has changed him. And so I want you to see the key here in this passage is to see that, that, that what pleases God is giving motivated by grace. It's not forced, and it comes out of the heart that we receive when we become followers of Jesus. That, that grace of giving just comes rushing over us like a flood, all right? Which leads to the second point about the Macedonians. <clears throat> Very interesting. The Macedonians gave in their suffering and their deep poverty. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, this is, this is where it gets crazy, all right? This is where people start saying, 
Somebody should have, should have counseled the Macedonians otherwise. Paul says the Macedonians endured extreme poverty. It wasn't just that they didn't have what they wanted. It was that they didn't have the things that they needed. They lacked essentials like food and adequate clothing. And, and this one verse right here, by the way, exposes the lie of any teaching that says that when you follow Jesus, you can be comfortable and, and healthy and rich if you just have enough faith. Because what we see in the Macedonians is that the grace of God did not alleviate their affliction and even their extreme poverty, but even in their affliction and in their extreme poverty, the Macedonians overflowed with generosity. So if you've ever thought, and I have, if the Lord would just bless me, if I could just be rich, I would become a generous giver. We have to learn from the, 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 the example of the Macedonians here and, and, and understand that the grace of God works in a person's life to give even in the midst of poverty. So here's the thing. You don't have to be rich to start giving. You can always give from what God has entrusted you. In fact, and this is what we saw back in James, in James chapter 1 last year, we saw the poor person actually has an advantage over the rich person because they have the ability to more easily give sacrificially. So consider this. A person who gives $100,000 out of their million, that's a really gracious gift. And listen, if, 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 you've, got a, if you've got a million dollars and, and you want to write a check to hope for $100,000, by all means, right? But you've still got $900,000 to live on. I'm not taking anything away from the gift. I'm not taking anything away from the graciousness of that gift. But if a person has $1,000, that's all they have, and they give 100, then they've only got $900 to live on. And to some extent, God says, that's even better. That's, that's, that's even more sacrificial and, 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 grace, and graceful and God-honoring. So, so, so Jesus teaches the story about the, the widow's might. So, the, you know, the famous story, all the rich people are coming in, and, and they had, the, they had the, um, the giving box set up in the temple so that the, the, the people could um, put their, um, their coins into it, and it went, it was like a slot machine, you know, all the time, all the rich stuff going into the box, right? And then here comes this little uh, widow, widowed woman, and she puts her little, her little two mites. Ka-tink, ka-tink. And everybody's like, oh. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had. To live on. When I counsel someone who's in over their heads financially, I always encourage them, start giving. Someone counseled us very early in our marriage, very early in our marriage when we had already made some <clears throat> mistakes and, and we wanted to make some changes to how we were living financially, they, they, they encouraged us to start giving immediately. And I know this sounds 
counterintuitive, but it's an, it's an act of obedience that can begin to break that habit of seeing everything that it belongs to you. And let me say this too, and just, you know, for those of you who may have made some mistakes, or, or maybe you're young, maybe you're thinking of getting married, debt really complicates this. Because debt is spending money that God hasn't given you yet. And it's really hard to be generous when you've already promised your money that you haven't made yet to somebody else. But there's grace there too. And there's grace to be found even in repenting of the financial mistakes we have made. And often the first step to repentance is to trust God and give. We'll talk about more that more in just a minute. All right, number three, verse two. The Macedonians experienced joy because of their generosity. <clears throat> For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, so, so this verse contains four phrases that should not go together. I mean, just write these down later and think, how do those fit? Affliction and abundance of joy. Extreme poverty and an overflow in a wealth of generosity. So not only were the Macedonians generous, but they were generous in a way that brought them great joy. They overflowed in their generosity. Even in their great affliction, they were joyful. I have never met a selfish person who was overflowing with joy. I have never been overflowing with joy when I was being a selfish person. The sins of selfishness are these, greed, discontent, jealousy, fear. Many people today are discontent with what they have and they're afraid they're going to lose it. This is not overflowing joy. Those poor Macedonians understood that a key to joy and happiness is giving. Generous giving. And it's something that many people, and I would say in our very prosperous, very wealthy, very comfortable nation, have failed to understand. And I think if they could speak to us from heaven this morning, they would say, live generously. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want you all to know, every single person in this room can move further into the practice of generosity. So, so all of us has, have resources. If you're an adult with a bank account, or if you are a child with a piggy bank, do, do you want teenagers to break the mold of being self-centered and unhappy? Teach them to serve and teach them to give, because this is a pathway that is available to all of us in Christ. Verse 3. All right, I'm just going to tell you, if, if you want to be challenged, if you don't want to be challenged, like, go to the bathroom right now. Okay. Uh, here we go. Um, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Okay, first, big foundational principle here. Big foundational principle. 
Everything you have, everything I have, has been given to you by God. Okay? Just, Just the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. So everything we have has been given to to us by him, and we are just managers of it, okay? So basically, whatever I have is exactly what God intends me to have. So most people today live beyond their means, okay? And, And by that, I mean they live a lifestyle that is beyond what they should be living according to what they have, Uh, using, like, debt and credit cards. Paul says that the Macedonians gave according to their means. So they managed their limited resources. Remember, these are people who are living in extreme poverty. They managed their their limited resources so that they could be free to give. Okay, so two thoughts here. If I'm spending every dime I make, I am unable to give according to my means, right? If, if, if every dime I have is spoken for at the end of the month, I can't give according to my means. And then secondly, if I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, I'm not free to give according to my means. So God has given every single one of us exactly what he intends us to have, and it's up to us to manage those resources in a way that we can give. And so there's no percentages here. We're talking about free will giving that is motivated by grace. Okay, and so then, then Paul takes it up a notch. So shocking. They also gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what they were able. Now, that doesn't mean that they gave what they didn't have, okay? It, it means they used the resources God had entrusted to them to give sacrificially. They had it, they needed it, but they gave it. Okay, so listen to this quote from, from Randy Alcorn. Love this quote. What does it mean to give beyond our ability? It means to push our giving beyond the point where it adds up. It means to give when the bottom line says we shouldn't. It means to give away not just the luxuries, but some of the necessities. It means to live with the faith of the poor widow. For most of us, giving according to our means would stretch us. Giving beyond our means would break us. But it won't, because God is faithful. So here's the question. Were the Macedonians foolish to give in their deep poverty? What about the widow in the temple? And many in the world would say, yes, that was foolish. But Jesus and Paul are saying no. And they trusted God to provide as they gave. True giving is sacrificial. It costs something. Remember David? So at the end of 2 Samuel uh, in August, 2 Samuel chapter 24, he, he went Uh, the, The plague was afflicting Israel. He went to the threshing floor of Arana, and he was going to purchase that threshing floor. And Arana said to him, well, you're my king. I'll just give it to you. And do you remember what David said? David said, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. 
I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So sacrificial giving isn't just tossing God a gift here and there. It's, giving from the sur- it's not just giving from the surplus at the end of the month. It's sacrificial. And Paul is saying here, I'm, I'm just trying to let you know about these Macedonians and about the joy that they have and the joy that they had comes from the fact that they were giving beyond what makes sense. Number five, verse three, the Macedonians gave voluntarily. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Christians are to be voluntarily free will givers. I I taught on tithing um, several years ago. I would be happy to talk about that. I'm not going to pause for that right now. For those of you who are new, tithing is the concept from the Old Testament. Tithe simply means 10%, okay? So it was this idea from the Old Testament where you gave 10% to the nation. It was more of a tax, okay? Just so you know, I don't believe that the tithe uh, principle comes over to the New Testament, all right? I I believe that, that in the New Testament, we are called to be free will givers, I would say that that 10% is probably a pretty good starting place, if that was good enough for the people of God, but that that doesn't come over. And so we're, we're not motivated to give by a command. It's voluntary. It's something that God moves his people to do. And, and sometimes we see that, that people give out of praise and thanksgiving, Something good has happened and they want to give to God as a result of it. Sometimes people give because there's an awareness of a great need. Some people give because of the possibility of of great joy. And so I would say to you, regarding our voluntary giving, the gospel takes us beyond saying I should give or I am commanded to give to I love to give. Giving brings me joy. And I want to be able to give more. And I I just want to say, I know we are not a rich church by any means. But all of us have more than we need. And we can all move further into that joy of grace-motivated giving. Uh, Number six, the Macedonians were seeking opportunity to give. All right, this is in verse 4. It says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay, so it sounds like here that Paul, you know, they were begging us earnestly. So, So perhaps the Macedonians at some point came to Paul and said, I'm sorry, that Paul came to the Macedonians and said, you guys should cool it. Like, you've, you've given enough. You live in extreme poverty. I, hey, I'm seeking help from other churches too. So you just keep some of that and, and you meet your needs. But it says they begged him earnestly for the chance to give. So the phrase here, taking part, it's that word, koinonia. So I love it when, you know, when basics overlap, that word koinonia means fellowship. And so they're, they're saying, Paul, don't deprive us of the opportunity 
to be partners in the gospel because you think we're poor. Paul, please let us participate in this ministry. Don't, don't leave us out. Let us enjoy this fellowship too. Now, the Macedonians could have said, Paul, why are you taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem? We have needs too. We're also in deep poverty. Who's going to meet our needs? When are you going to go out there and take up a collection for us? But instead they said, please, let us help. Let us be involved. Do you see what a radical change this is? Do you see how this is the work that, that only Jesus can do in the life of a sinner? Rather than saying, why didn't you do that for me? The Macedonians say, we want to be a part of that. It's no secret that we live in a generation. We live in a society of unhappy people. Do you know that if you make $35,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the richest people who live in this world? Do you know that every single one of us lives at a level of comfort and luxury that would be beyond the imagination of the richest people who lived 200 years ago? Why are so many people unhappy? Do you think that Paul, or maybe even the Macedonians, would have said, it's because you're a nation of consumers rather than givers. It's because you're a bunch of takers rather than givers. And the pathway to joy couldn't be clearer. Stop demanding things for yourself and start being a gracious giver to others. Jesus said it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Number seven, verse five, the Macedonians started by giving themselves to Christ. And this too is key. He says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the Macedonians gave themselves to Christ first. Where does the joy of giving start? So we're going to sing, in a, at the, at, after the service, we're going to sing the song, Take My Life and Let It Be. And, and, and some of you are like, that's such an old-fashioned song. But it's not old-fashioned in the words. It might be old-fashioned in the tune, but it's not old-fashioned in the words. So this is verse 1. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Well, that's fair enough. Verse I think it's verse 4. I don't know where Tyler will put it, but it says, Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. Every power. So when Erica and I got married, we did not decide to have separate bank accounts, right? I, I don't think that married people should have separate bank accounts. We combined our resources. There's no such thing as David's money and Erica's money. In the grand scheme of things, what's mine is hers, what's hers is mine. I don't make big purchases without talking to her. She doesn't make big purchases without talking to me. Well, we shouldn't have separate bank accounts from Jesus either. What's mine is his, 
and what's his is mine. That's what the Bible says. And I really shouldn't make a single financial decision without asking him first. And so I would just ask you this morning, have you given yourself to Jesus? Is it all his, really? Your intellect, your money, your talents, your time, your family, your love, your life. You know, we don't ask that old question very much anymore, but it's worth asking, who sits on the throne in your heart? Is it you or Jesus? Because here's the thing, God doesn't need our money And he certainly doesn't want our money in place of your life. He's not looking for you to purchase anything regarding your life. We're not buying his approval. It all belongs to God. I love that Corey Ten Boom quote, you know, where she says, "My, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I just need to go ask him if he'll sell some cattle, right? It all belongs to God. When we recognize that, he shows us how to use it. And why do we give ourselves to Christ first? Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Memorize that verse. Meditate on that verse. There's so much profound life-giving wisdom in that verse. Jesus is showing us the way. He was rich and he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. You say, well, I don't feel very rich. Oh, but you are. Because all that belongs to Christ is yours. Paul tells the Ephesians that in him we have obtained an inheritance. So after the Macedonians have given themselves to Christ, then they gave themselves to each other. Paul says they gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So they gave themselves to God and then they determined that they should give themselves to each other. So Christ-motivated generosity begins with the body of Christ. I would suggest it begins in the local body and then it proceeds out to other believers and then to the world. Our generosity should certainly include the unbelieving world, but we begin with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This was uh, one of the final, the first results of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. Matt read this passage a couple of weeks ago from Acts 2. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So giving is basic to the Christian life. Once again, like serving, it's not just deeds that we do, it's a lifestyle that we live. Okay, so as I've done each week, let me turn to a few practical things as we think about giving. By the way, Paul continues his teaching all the way through chapter 9, but this concludes the like example of the generous Macedonians, so we'll, we'll stop there and pull some of this together. Let me give you a a line here. The biblical model for Christian giving is to give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, deliberately, and voluntarily. I'll say that again. The biblical model for Christian giving is to give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, deliberately, and voluntarily. My first thought here is we need to make disciples who give because this kind of giving does not come 
naturally. It is a work that God does in our hearts, but it's also a way that needs to be explained and taught to young Christians. And I do think this is often complicated by Jesus' teaching where he says, you know, if you give, give in secret, don't let the the left hand know what the right hand is doing. But I think that specifically what Jesus is, is getting at there is hypocrisy. Don't give hypocritically. Don't give for the show. Don't talk about giving in a way that you want other people to know that you've given. And I think Satan has, has really taken that, that clear warning and twisted it so that we're at a loss because people are afraid to teach other people about how to give. And this has led to generations who I would say don't know how to give, don't know how to budget, don't know how to manage their money because nobody's ever really taught them how to do that. So we need older saints who understand giving, who understand finances from a biblical perspective, who can sit down with young Christians and show them how to manage their money so that they can live according to their means and even give beyond their means. We need fathers who teach their children how to use God's resources so that they can be generous givers. And honestly, I think we need classes for teenagers, for young adults, for engaged couples about money management. I've shared this with you in in different places before, but I'll say I was embarrassingly far into ministry before I learned some of these things. And I had some dear older brothers in Chicago. I was out of seminary, had been in full-time ministry for several years, who kind of came alongside of me and, and, and lovingly admonished me about some of the financial choices that we were making and discipled us in these things so that Erica and I could get out of debt and become cheerful givers. And I am not saying that I don't have further to go in that, but I've seen the fruit in my life of their ministry. I would also say, number two, God can transform you into a Macedonian giver if you ask. So you may be experiencing the consequences of bad financial choices, heavy debt, greed, discontentment, and fear. All of these things are the fruit of a misunderstanding of money, and it can lead to a lot of anxiety, and it can lead to a lot of upset. It can lead, I know, to feeling like you're under a burden that you can't get out of, but God's grace is bigger than your burden, even your financial burdens. So becoming a generous Christian starts with understanding God's grace. God's grace leads to repentance. Repentance leads to transformation. Like I said, start giving now. Give on the front end of that paycheck. Don't give on the back end of that paycheck. When we were first married, we were end-of-the-month givers. That's right. I was a pastor who was an end-of-the-month giver, which means I gave out of whatever I had left over, which means... Lots of months I didn't give because there was nothing left over. And God changed that habit. It was was an act of faith to say, I'm going to start giving this chunk out of the front end that it feels like right now I can't do without. And I'm going to trust God to meet those needs on the back end. And I had to change some other habits as well. Some things that I thought I deserved that I was paying for God had to convict me that I didn't deserve those things, and if I was going to get out of debt, I had to make some changes in those areas. But God changed those habits, and he poured out his blessings, and it took years, but we did get out of debt, 
And we were able to, we've been able to increase our giving through the years. Third, giving should start with our local body and proceed from there. So the local church is central to what God is doing in, in, in the city, in the world, and it is the pattern of the New Testament, and I don't have time to unpack this today, but the pattern of the New Testament was that the churches would entrust this giving to the elders, and that the, then the elders would dispense the, the resources through prayer and the wisdom of the word. So hope is our home, and we do have some responsibility to support the work here. We don't talk about giving. If you're here for the first time, you might be like, wow, do they do this every week? No, we never talk about giving here. As a matter of fact, I'll just take this opportunity. We do have a little black box on the wall back there that says offering. We don't pass around an offering plate. We also have online giving available, which I'm told is better and easier. But I will take this real opportunity to remind you, since we don't talk about this much, that it's important that you remain faithful to the giving here. For some reason, the last two Aprils have been very noticeably low. Like, not 25% lower, like 25% of what we normally receive. And, and the elders of Hope would just ask you to remember to be faithful, to plan to be consistent. Because if we're $15,000 short of our budget on a month, we don't have a lot of other big months where we make that up here. The Hope, the Hope Bible Church is a ministry of the members of Hope. It's our responsibility to support this ministry. So we have a budget that's out for approval right now that we will approve next Sunday. The members should pray about that, ask questions about it. It's based on how we see the body giving. And so if the ministry of this body uh, approves that budget, then we need to, as we're able, support that budget. The people of God give freely and voluntarily. For Erica and I, we, we've, we've established a little more than 10% as our baseline, just so as not to be legalistic. And then we also, we, we, we write that check to hope at the beginning of the month, and then we also have an amount that we've set aside for other needs. So we support missionaries, we support two of the, the widows who live in Rwanda, we give regularly to ministries related to orphans and adoption. Which leads to the next point. If you don't plan to give, you won't give. So giving of what's left over doesn't usually work because I don't know about you, but, but I often spend it. I actually, I'll, I'll just say, tell you, this week I, I was kind of convicted because there's something that I have been intending to give to and I've been putting it off and the money has been sitting there and I actually had to, like, the, you know, like Paul to the Corinthians, I had to take a moment and say, I need to just do this. Because if I don't do this, I'm going to spend this money. You need to follow through. How much are you going to set aside for giving? Do you have margin for spontaneous giving as needs arise? By the way, I don't think anybody should go into debt to give. Don't, don't give on a credit card. There should be a budget bucket for spontaneous giving. And I would encourage you to teach your children to give. Tell them what you give. Let them know. What percentage of mom and dad's income goes to giving? Let your giving be planned out together as a family. Because remember, they're going to grow up and they're going to be adults one day and they need to know how to give. And then finally, number five, in order for our church to fellowship in giving, we need to know each other's needs. 
This is sort of a like, you know, giving plus final point. But if you don't tell other people what you need, then you are depriving our fellowship of the opportunity to share with you. You are depriving us of that joy. And as we've learned to give, I have continually set aside money that is for the purpose of giving spontaneously, and there are times when I don't know of anybody to give to. And it does take a measure of humility. When we say we need something, you know what it communicates? It communicates that we're not self-sufficient. And guess what? We're not self-sufficient. So you see, it works both ways. Not only do we need to stop clutching the things that we have, but we also need to stop stubbornly pretending that we don't need anything from anybody else. So I would say a good way to proceed is to let me or one of the other elders, if you have a need and if you want it to be anonymous, let me or one of the elder, other elders know, because from time to time somebody will come to me and say, we've got some extra money. We would like to know, is there a need in the body? And I can direct them to that need if you, if you let me know. This could also be a talking point in our small group, something that takes place. You know, sharing isn't just talking about what's going on in your life. It actually is actually sharing. So maybe you should ask in your small group sometime, hey, are there any needs here? Are there any things that we could do for one another? Does anybody have physical needs? All right, so this morning we're going to go to the Lord's Supper, and I want to take you there by reconsidering verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The great example of giving, the greatest example of giving is our Lord Jesus Christ. Every week we read from 1 Corinthians 10, I mean 11, this is my body which is for you. So this is, this is the greatest example of giving. Our King, our Lord Jesus Christ, hasn't asked us to do anything that he hasn't done for us exponentially. So every week when we take the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder instituted by the Lord Jesus himself, that we are supposed to be sacrificial and, and self-giving because he was sacrificial and self-giving. So as you eat this cracker in a few minutes and you drink from this little cup, consider that picture of Jesus giving his body and his blood for you. Because to be givers, we must all start as receivers receivers of God's grace, and that is the most basic thing. All right, so we're going to, our, our brothers and sisters are going to hand out the cup, and they're going to hand out the, 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 the cracker. Uh, we would ask you to just hold on to that, okay? I'm going to come up here in a few minutes. I'm going to read a passage, and then we will partake together.